Hi, I'm Chantelle. And I'm Matthew. And we're founders of Fifth Place, where our mission is to make the world a better place by enabling the how. Welcome, Welcome to our Emotions, Emotions Matter, Matter Really podcast. In this podcast, we explore everything about emotions, feelings, and what it is to become and remain emotionally fit. We interrogate the taboo around expressing and talking about emotions and feelings. We talk about all those things we want less of, like stress, anxiety, and burnout, and the things we want more of, like sleep, calm, and self-care. How are you doing today, Matthew? Hi there, I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. So we're doing something a bit different here with our podcast, trying a different way of recording, and yes, it's been a rather wet day. So you may hear the sounds of rain outside, and well, let's see how we go. Yes, let's see how we go. So what is the theme for today's podcast? Well, on Tuesday the 19th of April, which is when this podcast is going to be uh, uploaded, it is Poetry and the Creative Mind Day. And this is spearheaded by the Academy of American Poets. This day celebrates poets and artists that have been the forerunners of innovation and growth throughout history. And these bright sparks have challenged the concept of what is possible and this day honors them. Okay, well, as you can probably hear, we are not American and we don't have any association with the Academy of American Poets. But we do love poetry, especially Chantelle. Poetry is about language, rhythm and rhyme. Poetry has been around for almost 4,000 years. Wow. But it's almost impossible to define, although many have tried, so... Why don't we hear what some others have had to say about what poetry is? Yes, so some of the definitions of poetry are as follows. And this is a dictionary definition of poetry. That poetry is the art of rhythmical composition, written or spoken, for exciting pleasure by beautiful, imaginative or elevated thoughts and literary literary work in metrical form or verse. Okay. Well, let's take another look at a definition. This one from the Encyclopedia Britannica. And it says that poetry is literature that evokes concentrated imaginative awareness of experience or a specific emotional response through language chosen and arranged for its meaning sound, and again, rhythm. Hmm. And yet another definition. Poetry is a type of literature that conveys a thought, describes a scene, or tells a story in a concentrated lyrical arrangement of words. Poems can be structured with rhyming lines and meter, the rhythm and emphasis of a line based on syllabic beats. Poems can also be freeform which follows no formal structure. Of all of those, I like the last one, but they all are kind of saying the same thing, really, just a little bit differently. A rose by any other name? Well, that's what 
institutions and reference material have to say about poetry, but what about poets themselves? Have any of them shared their perspectives on what poetry might be? Mm, there are plenty. Well, okay. Such as? Mm, here's one. T.S. Eliot. Poetry is not a turning loose of emotion, but an escape from emotion. It is not the expression of personality, but an escape from personality. But of course, only those who have personality and emotions know what it means to want to escape from these things. Only those who have personality and emotions, hey? <laughs> well, I'm hoping that's everyone. But Dylan Thomas says, Poetry is what in a poem makes you laugh, cry, prickle, be silent, makes your toenails twinkle, makes you want to do this or that or nothing, makes you know that you are alone in the unknown world, that your bliss and suffering is forever shared and forever all your own. One of my favourite poems, poets rather, Robert Frost. He says, poetry is when an emotion has found its thought, and the thought has found words. Hmm. Khalil Gibran says, poetry is a deal of joy and pain and wonder, with a dash of the dictionary. Yes, that lovely balance between thinking and feeling, head and heart. Marianne Moore says, poetry is the art of creating imaginary gardens with real toads. Mm. And Rita Dove says poetry is a language at its most distilled and most powerful. And we could go on and on, but really poetry has something about it that draws people. What draws you to poetry, Matthew? Well, uh, my first exposure to poetry was a really basic book of poems that I got when I was four. It was called the Puffin Book of Verse, if memory serves. And uh, from there, I just enjoyed particularly the rhyming and I guess, you know, <laughs> alliteration mm -hmm. is one of my favorite forms of sort of rhyming stuff. But I think I went off poetry a bit during school because they really wring the neck and squeeze the blood and the life out of the works and unlike you I didn't study English at a later stage in my life but later on doing this work connecting more to heartfelt forces um, really brought me back and then obviously you you writing poetry has rekindled an interest in poetry in me hmm. and so what about you and this is a podcast episode, very, very squarely inspired, enthused and driven by you. So please share <laughs> some of your love for this particular subject. Mm. So I have a long history with poetry. I have three younger brothers and for his third birthday, my grandmother, we called her Gaga, gave the oldest of the three brothers a book of poetry, a book of verse for his third birthday. I don't actually know why she chose that particular gift for him because she was Dutch and English wasn't even her first language. 
but maybe she gave it to him because she loved all the pretty pictures. There were some really gorgeous pictures and illustrations on the cover and inside the book as well. Mm -hmm. My mother, however, she grabbed this book and made real use of it. She taught us all, each one of us who were old enough, to recite poetry and to recite the little verses out of that, um, out of that book. And so I've been reciting poetry since I've been about five years old. I also wrote my first poem when I was six. It was sent to a newspaper called The Saturday Star, and it was actually published. I can't find that particular poem, although I'm sure my mother has it somewhere. Uh, it was about a bunny hopping, which is quite, uh, <laughs> it's quite useful, seeing that we've just come out of Easter. But this one that I have here was from, our, from when I was 10 years old, and it was called Pirates. And should I read it? I'll read it. Okay, you read it. That's a great idea. Pirates are cruel and bad, and when it comes to treasure, they smile with pleasure. When it has been dug up, if you see a pirate crew, I advise you not to go too soon to see what they are up to, for you may never come back. <laughs> you may never come back. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, that was lovely. So, as for some reason, my mother sent us all to elocution. Um, we called it speech and drama, and part of that involved us being sent to the National Ice Stedford. And the National Ice Stedford in South Africa is where young people have the opportunity to perform um, in the performing arts. So dance, um, uh, monologues, uh, also uh, music, theatre, fine arts, all of that. For me, it was more poetry and prose, monologues and sight reading, but mostly poetry. So I was doing a lot of poetry reciting when I was at primary school. And then when I was in high school, a teacher by the name of Mrs. Clark, when I was in about standard 11, or standard 9, grade 11 these days, um, she really nurtured an absolute love of, of um, English in me. So much so that I took it as a major in university. So I majored in English. And then I even came back and taught it as a high school teacher once I'd finished university. When I got married and had kids and started a career, there wasn't much time to get involved in poetry. Um, I had started writing again in my late teens and 20s, but I'd stopped when I was a young mother and uh, in a new career. I did a little bit, but mm, not that much. But when it came to a very trying time in my life when I was separated. I was separated and divorced um, the year of 2016 and 2017. It was a very, very arduous year. And poetry actually saved me. I dived into poetry and I really, I just found it was a, a real healer for me. It became a very important outlet. I was able to say things in poetry that not even my journaling was able to capture for me. So it was important. I can hear that. And it also sounds like it's been one of those constant resourceful and generative companions that we carry with us through our lives. 
and uh, you know the key there being resourceful and supportive because mm-hmm. many of us pick up not so resourceful habits to support us as we wend our way through life. Yes. So thank you very much for sharing that. So how about a little bit on how you come to be in the sort of poem writing space? How does that work for you? So for me, um, I would say that writing poetry is for me a very creative process. I love the words. I love the descriptive possibilities of the words, the rhythm and the rhyme. I can say things with poetry that I can't adequately reproduce with prose. And while I was working on this podcast, I came across um, this gentleman, or this, he was actually a doctor by the name of Norman Rosenthal. He's a psychiatrist in private practice in Washington, Washington D.C. Interestingly, he was born and educated in South Africa and went over to the U.S. to complete his medical training. He did research into the healing powers of poetry and wrote a book called Poetry Rx, How 50 Inspiring Poems Can Heal and Bring Joy to Your Life. Hmm. The book includes the poems themselves and covers issues such as managing emotions, connecting with nature and finding meaning in grief and in life. And he says of poetry that it provides a device to offer people another perception or perspective and show them that they have a choice in how they see things or how they appreciate a situation. It's a very respectful approach because people know that poetry results from a certain amount of thoughtfulness. Wow. And as you said, you love poetry because it's a creative process. And we know that being creative is key for our emotional fitness as well as our mental health. There is an abundance of research that shows how engaging in things creative is beneficial to us or for us. How has creativity been beneficial for you? Well, for me, I don't think I'm necessarily obviously creative. Um, my grandfather used to say that I was tone deaf and when I <laughs> dance, I have four left feet uh, and yes, try to process too much through my brain. But I think there are other aspects for me to being creative, um, certainly working in the photo editing software, compositing images, some of it for our work, some of it just creatively, as well as photography, developing an eye, you know, learning the rules and the structure and then working within those boundaries. And then when you know the rules, you can break them. And that's mm-hmm. really interesting, especially from a, a, a process as maybe artistic as photography can be. Also the post-processing in the old days, they used to do a lot of post-processing in the dark room. And nowadays that's done with software. So people think that it's cool to take a photo and not edit it. But actually, we've always been editing our our photos. It's just the methodology that we've used. Mm. And I know that writing, not necessarily poetry, but little, little pieces of prose, stories, that kind of thing, has really helped me through some challenging times in my life. So I definitely think that, again, from a resourceful perspective, having something like a creative outlet is is key, or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And you know, if we if 
we dig a little deeper into what that creative process might look like, it can be anything from drawing, painting, pottery, sewing, embroidery, knitting, crocheting, baking, um, making, anything that puts us into this trance-like state where we can disconnect mm. from our brains. Mm. And then focus and concentrate on the task at hand. And by doing this, we get into that sort of zone or that flow, which is very meditative and very, very lovely to be in. I'm, I'm sure anyone listening has had that experience where they really kind of dig into something that they love doing and just sort of the world disappears. And this flow thing, this process of flow was actually discovered or labeled by a Hungarian-American psychologist called Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. And he studied the creative process and defined flow as the state in which people are so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. Mm. Flow involves intense focus, creative engagement, and the loss of awareness of time and self. There's this thrill that comes when we express ourselves in a manner that's different from how we normally show up in the world. And this can be both relieving as well as relaxing. Our body is flooded with all those feel-good chemicals that calm us, unhook our critical, judgy brain. And then we get opened up to these ideas that we'd not normally be able to access and oftentimes for various reasons we suppress. And I'm reminded or kind of has been sharing this of those companies that really want their employees to think out of the box or brainstorm a new idea. And unless they can get them out of their heads and into this sort of flow state, they're really wasting their time. And if you think about the typical workplace, I'm not sure that it's that conducive to being in the flow. Even if you go away and are in an amazing space, or an amazing venue. Mm, you're absolutely right. And you know how many times it's been like, brainstorm, think out of the box. Well, that won't work unless you are in a state of flow. And I can definitely attest to the benefits of flow. I know that physical feeling of being in a space where I'm hyper-focused, engaged on my subject, excited and energized. It's a, such an amazing feeling. And I can go on for hours without a break. That is how I feel when I write poetry sometimes. I get myself into that state by immersing myself in what it is that I want to write about. Sometimes I have to try two or three times to find the right hook. Because it's like, it's like it just hooks me. But once I've found it, I can just write. It's not to say that the first draft is the perfect draft. Not at all. Um, but, you know, I do go and uh, sort of go over it a couple of times to get to the final product, but it's just the joy in getting the words on the page and then playing with them, which is really thrilling and incredibly satisfying. Mm. Well, you've written quite a number of poems and you've got a poem to share here with us that you wrote in that state of flow. And so over to you. Share it with us. Thank you. Yes, this poem was written one Sunday morning when I was on a weekend retreat in November 2016. 
And I made a note when I wrote it that it was part of the retreat process, but that I just wrote and it came. And it's called Notice Anew. Notice anew the world inside me. Notice a calm and compassionate place, soft with love and hard with longing. But notice anew me. Notice anew the spaces between us, the breath that runs through you and me. Notice anew the person that I have become, and I will notice you. Mm. Thank you. So I was going through so much upheaval in my life at that time. I'd been separated from my husband and was being on, was on the verge of a divorce. And in this poem, I was noting that I felt as if I was a new changed person as a result of all the challenges I'd been through, of course. And as such, was also seeing the world and others differently too. Well, isn't that the thing? When we change, the world out there changes. That's mm -hmm. something we advocate a lot as well here. Mm. And you can experience what that's like to practice if you do the seeding quality meditation that we've got. Yes, that's true. So what creative per per <laughs> what creative pursuits get you into flow, Matthew? Well, you might find this a bit odd, but I like organizing things. I don't mean organizing and goal setting and that kind of thing but more curating, curating things, arranging things in a pattern or a rhythm. Um, sometimes it's on the computer, so things that need to be filed away properly or arranging books on a bookcase. I do enjoy, as I said earlier, doing graphic design. And yeah, just think, thinking or talking about photography reminded me how long photography has been a part of my life as a creative pursuit. My dad gave me my first camera when I was 13. I still have it and it still works. Oh. <laughs> and then I kind of moved away from photography because it got too expensive as a poor teenager to afford the cost of film. And of course, when you're a teenager, there's, you know, limited budget and you have to decide where you're spending your money. <laughs> and so from there, I left it and uh, only kind of got back to photography later on when digital cameras started becoming more mainstream. And I love taking photos of people, also street photography, specifically in my home city, Johannesburg. And I've also had a few images curated as part of an exhibition, which was called Three Cities Plus One. It showcased images from the past as well as the present from Shanghai, Beijing and Guangzhou and I hope I said that properly as well as Johannesburg which incidentally is our home city as well as the largest city in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. And just to come back to poems, just for a moment. <laughs> you actually have a favourite poem. So why don't you tell us a bit about it and then recite it for us here or read it for us here. So it wasn't a favourite poem until quite recently and part of it was the inspiration 
that my son also enjoys this poem, Tristan, and also the sort of impact that it had on Nelson Mandela. And incarcerated for 27 years, he found both solace and inspiration in this poem. You can probably guess that we are going to be talking about Invictus by William Ernest Henley. And now for me though, I cannot for one fathom what it must have been like to be in prison for such a length of time. Exposed to that space where inherent brutality and dehumanizing constructs are the norm, it might make you bitter, vengeful, mm. but not Nelson Mandela. He somehow found the light within himself and aligned with his true nature. He found balance between the thinking forces of his head and the love in his heart. And he became an example that I think we can all aspire to. And the poem for me represents having the courage to stay the course no matter what the world throws at you. It's about having the conviction of your beliefs in the face of overwhelming and hopeless odds. And then, you know, that part about finding the light in your soul mm. and letting it shine. Letting it shine as only you can. Mm. So just a reminder, Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Yes, it's, it's really uh, something that I hold dear. So let's lighten it up a little. You've got a few more poems that you've written. How about sharing a couple of your favorites here with us? As I mentioned, poetry was an important and healing outlet to me. Um, in the year of my separation and divorce. So I'm going to share a couple of examples from that particular year. This next poem I wrote in the week before the retreat that I spoke about earlier. It was also November 2016 and it happened to be a super full moon. We just experienced a full moon ourselves. How beautiful that was. And this was supposed to be a super full moon. My friend Zoe and I had gone to a gathering somewhere to do yoga and meditate to this full moon. But ironically, <laughs> it had rained. 
and it was so cloudy that we couldn't actually see it, but we did howl at it. <laughs> My friend and I, we howled at the moon, and it inspired this poem in me that I wrote, which is not really a light poem. It is more about the disintegrated relationship that was happening with my husband. And it's called Howl at the Moon. You stay inside and watch TV and I'll howl at the moon. I'll bear my soul to the naked light and howl. I'll howl for all the love I've lost, for the pain I've caused, for the wounds and scars across my face and yours. I'll howl for the love I had and didn't give, caught up in the making do and making up and holding out and holding together. Forever, a strange note of sadness will hang in the pauses between us, a suspended stone, sore marks and bruises it will unleash if dropped. So I will howl at the moon, bow to its feminine brilliance, call on its soft shine to bless me and lead me to forgiveness. So how did that make you feel doing that poem or coming out the other side of that poem? It was cathartic. It was cathartic at the time, and I remember very vividly the night that I wrote it. But it wasn't always about sadness of a relation coming, a relationship coming apart that I wrote about. Later that month, I was reading a book called Community Building, The Structure of the Belonging, mm -hmm. Belonging by Peter Block. We know that book very well. Mm -hmm. And out of that book fell a piece of paper with the phrase, The Importance of Small Things, written on it. And it fell into my lap and I looked at it and I thought, hmm, this looks like a good thing to write a poem about. Okay, well, I think in terms of where we are in the podcast, let's hear this poem and then let's maybe, you know, wrap things up. <laughs> really? Wrap things up? Fine. Maybe you should read it. A small thing. The importance of small things. But it's not a small poem. It's not a small poem. There it is. It's not that long. Well, I know. I'm just kidding around. I think Matthew should read it. What do you think? Okay. The importance of small things. The importance of small things that sit unsaid, untold, unnoticed between us. The importance of small things like a shy smile across a busy intersection. A gap in the traffic that is left open without hooting. A bunch of flowers for a busy cook. A freshly swept front step. A tip of the head as a door is held open. A sweet message from a loved one. Unexpected and delightful. The importance of small things. Tiny gemstones sparkling on the string of our days. 
Wow. Hey, if you want a signed copy of that, I think I can help you. <laughs> that was lovely. It's so nice to hear a poem that I've written read by somebody else. And so we're going to close out this section or this podcast just with two more poems. The one poem was written on the eve of my divorce, so it's a bit heavy. Um, it was an awful year of pain and heartache. But, you know, we're talking about how poetry was able to help heal in the process. So here it is. It's called Forgive Me, God. Forgive me, God, for not allowing a tear to spill when all around me bodies lay, weeping for another loss. Forgive me, God, for not being soft, for fighting hard, but too quietly. Forgive me for catching the falling leaves of failure, pasting them in a book, painting over a new colour, growing a garden with no roots. Forgive me for spitting at an ordinary life, for wings that could not fold or fly held down by well-meaning ropes of safe spaces. Forgive me, God, for walking a path that scratched the insides of people I love. May they forgive me too. Hmm. Very, very heartfelt there. And I do hope, aside from God and the others, that there is space for forgiveness from you to you. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And the final poem, in fact, it's the final poem for today. And it was the final poem I wrote in that year on the last day of 2016, after a coaching session with a dear friend who packed no punches. Basically, he said to me, you have done too much for too many. You have done them no favors and you have disabled them. So I committed to stop doing that and hence the poem and it's called fly away she made their lives like so many beds smoothed them over tucked them in she designed their dreams painted them in colors she thought they would like she flattened the path so they wouldn't fall let them lean on her back when they got weary climb on her shoulders to look tall they took her heart, rubbed themselves in it, gave it back a used-up sponge, their mouths still open to be fed. She used that heart to wash her eyes. Then she stepped off the cliff and flew away. You may find this a little difficult to believe given that Chantelle and I share a relationship as well as a personal relationship, that is, as well as a working relationship. But this is the first time that I've heard her read these poems and I'm moved. So thank you very much for choosing to make this podcast about this subject because I feel all that much more connected to you. Mm. <laughs> You're welcome.
So as you can hear, poetry is very much universal as well as individual. It's personal and general. It is many things and yet sometimes only one thing. It offers comfort and solace, inspiration and joy. Poems weave and wend their wordy way down the page and into our hearts and minds. They can keep us locked away in the heady heights of our brains, as well as our minds, or reconnect us with the felt essence of who we are, deep at our core. In poems, the little letters all curled and twisted into familiar and sometimes strange word shapes inspire us to grow and heal. Yes. I think you could say that poetry is that magical connection with something bigger and more eternal than the fleeting ebb and flow of our human time. And with that, it is time to say farewell. So from me, Chantel, be kind and be gentle to yourself. Allow yourself some time to flow. And until the next time, bye for now. And from me, Matthew, write on, make magic, and bye for now. If you enjoy this podcast and haven't already done so, please subscribe or follow us. You can also find out more about what we do by visiting our website, fifth.place, yes, 5th.place. And if you find things that are in the way of you getting into the flow or being creative, then we invite you to join us at the next emotional fitness class and clear away some of that stuff so that you can be in that beautiful flowing space. And the links to an emotional fitness class as well as our website are included with this particular description for this particular episode.